0: Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we would be a holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, According to the kind intentions of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him we also have attained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in christ would be the praise of his glory father god thank you for uh for your eternal salvation thank you for your security thank you for the many many blessings that you have given of us spoken here in in these words uh, lord help us to uh, follow you and, and lord to glorify you in our lives and, Lord, in our praise and in our worship. Thank you for uh, giving us uh, Pastor Steve, who loves us, who loves his word, loves your word, and, uh, and Lord, loves you. I pray that you'd put in his mind and in his mouth what you would have him teach us. And thank you, Lord, for giving us this opportunity to worship you in music, in the reading of, his, of your word, and in the preaching of the same. And thank you for giving us an opportunity to be together to worship you and to listen to, uh, Lord, to the preaching that, that we will have and, Lord, to take it to heart and, uh, and carry it with us. In your name we pray, amen.
1: Good morning. Glad you all could be here this morning at Hope Bible Church. We could be together, fellowship together, a wonderful thing uh, to worship together. I was thinking that's quite heavenly, and if that was heavenly, our time here, what's it going to be like when we're really in heaven? Uh, I mean, that's going to be incredible. But uh, And also then to hear the Word of God. Uh, that's why we're here uh, on these Sunday mornings, and it is indeed a precious time, and glad you could all be with us today. Today, I want to talk about a very important subject, and that's the subject of salvation. We talk about salvation, we're talking about being saved, and I think of four specific things, saved from sin. Saved from death, saved from hell, and saved from Satan. And people who are saved are are children of God. They're forgiven of their sins. They're righteous in the eyes of God. They're ones who, when they die, uh, will go to heaven and be of the Lord forever. And then someday in the future, will get brand new glorious bodies. Ones who aren't saved, don't have salvation, are really children of the devil, and are unrighteous in the eyes of God, and when they physically die, they will go to hell. That's the truth. That's what the Bible tells us. And today I want to uh, look at one passage on salvation, Uh, and then I'm going to finish up the time talking about how once we're saved, we're always saved. But turn to Romans chapter 3. I'm going to focus and concentrate on these few verses, verses 20 to 28. Romans chapter 3. This is, I believe, I mean, there's a lot of good passages that talk about salvation. Uh, this is one of my favorite, uh, and no no single passage is complete. There's so many facets. Jeff just read uh, from Ephesians 1, and that covers different thoughts about salvation. Here we're going to look at some more, but I'm just going to read through this first, and then we'll go through this verse by verse. Romans chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Because by the works of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in him. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. But what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. Remain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So let's just go through this verse by verse. First, verse, verse 20 again. Because by the works of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. This says that a person is not justified, does not gain salvation by doing the works of the law, by keeping the commandments of God. And that's because no one is perfectly able to do it. Every person is a sinner and is unable then, unable then to keep God's law, except one person, and that was Jesus Christ. And Galatians 3.24 says that the law has been become our tutor to lead us to Christ. This goes along with that last phrase, as to the law comes the knowledge of sin. We have the law to show us that we're sinners and to show us that we need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ, and only by trusting in him then can we be saved. Titus 3.5, another verse relates, this is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. This tells us, too, that salvation is not obtained by the law. It's not by any works that we do. It's not by carrying out God's law. It's not by doing that. And, and it's only by trusting in Christ. Throughout history... And I think you're probably aware of this, and maybe you've been to a church that was like this, or heard some person that taught this. Throughout history, all kinds of churches and all kinds of people have said that there are works that you need to do. There are rituals that you need to keep, or laws you need to keep to become saved, to be saved, to stay saved. And that's just not true. That's not what the Bible says at all. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 2, 3, and 4, particularly 3 and 4, talk a lot about this subject that we're going over today about how salvation is is by faith in Christ and only by faith in Christ. It's not by the works of the law. Galatians chapter 3 and verses 10 and 11. It says, As many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, the righteous man shall live by faith. And so that's what the Lord tells us: it's all by faith. Second Timothy says, "God has who has saved saved us, called us with a holy calling, not according to works." And that whole theme about it's not by works is found in many many verses, and it's such an important one because again, when you talk about Christianity, you talk about religion, really there's only two things. It's either you trust in Christ or you trust in your own works. That's how it breaks down, very simply, when you talk about religion uh, in, in this, this world. We continue then, verse 21, Romans 3.21. It says, Now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. That, this tells us that, again, then, that righteousness is apart from the law. And the law and the prophets then, which of course we know are found in the Old Testament then, make this clear that righteousness is by faith and not by works. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4 is one, one good verse in that. It says, righteous, the righteous will live by his faith. That's what God wants to understand. It's not again by any works we do, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 22, it says, Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction So it says the phrase, uh, the, the righteousness of God, is a very important phrase. For if we have the righteousness of God, then we are righteous like God is righteous. And that's an amazing thing. And that's the whole point of Christianity is that Christ then, through his death for us, gives us the righteousness of God. So then we are not guilty of our sins. We're forgiven of our sins. We're justified. We're ones who are holy like God is holy. And how does a person get this righteousness? What it says very clearly here in this place, many places in the Bible, is not by our works but by faith, by faith in Christ, by trusting in the work of Christ, that believing that his death on the cross, Christ's death on the cross and his payment for sin was sufficient then to pay for all our sins. The result then is that Jesus saves us from our sins and God then can forgive us because of what Christ did. God then can officially declare us as righteous because of Christ's work for us. It says there's there's no distinction. And this means that there aren't different ways to get saved. And again, we've seen this. You see this throughout history, throughout all of history. There's all these different ways people think they can get right with God or be saved or go to heaven or however they're thinking about life. And, And there's only one way. We know the verse Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It is so clear. You can't miss it. There is only way, only one way, and that's through Christ and his death and the resurrection. The results then of of being saved are the same for every person. All of us here as believers, the same results. We're all forgiven of our sins. We're all children of God. We're all righteous in God's sight. It's the same. And, and I love that. We're all one family because of what God through Jesus Christ did for us. We go to verse twenty three in Romans three, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so there's no distinction among sinners. All people are sinners. You you walk outside You know, you go around, you see things on TV, or you watch whatever, and you read about things. Every person is a sinner. That is the truth. That is, is, there's no distinction. No matter who a person is, no matter what family he was in, no matter what color he is in, what skin, what ethnicity, what class, it makes no difference. No person has an advantage over anybody else. And we live in a world where there's always this sort of playing against it. Hey, I'm better than you are. I'm better than you. Before God, we're all sinners. We're all guilty. We all will stand guilty before God, and we all then are accountable to God. This this verse that I've shared, but boy, this is strong. Each one of us will give an account of his life to God. Isn't that strong? Each one of us. And and, and you want to be one that when you're there, giving your account, is because, hey, you are in Christ. It's not, well, well let me tell you, God, what I did. That's not it. That's not it at all. It's what Christ does for us. Then the concept, Then we talk about we sin. Every person is a sinner. Uh, Ezekiel eighteen verse four says says the soul that sins will die. I, I, I like that. The soul, the, this the sin emanates from the soul. The soul that sins will die. Ephesians two uh, one says you have of uh, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. Jesus Paul here's talking. He says you guys were dead spiritually dead. We focus so much on life and the physical being. There's this emphasis on this. We need to emphasize the spirit. You were spiritually dead in your sins is what he says. So the consequences of a person's sin is that he dies. And there's three kinds of death. Very simply, first, there's spiritual death. That means a person because of a sin is separated from God. And this happens from a, a, a child born from birth is in sin. It says that we understand that the this, this sin comes through the parents. And so he's a sinner from birth, spiritually separated. Secondly, there's what we call physical death. We all understand this, is that a person physically dies. And when a person physically dies, then his soul at that point in time is separated from his body. So we're talking here about separation, spiritual separation, separated from God. Physical death then is the soul is separated from the body at the point of death. And finally, there's eternal death. And that is just if a person remains spiritually dead for the entirety of his life and then physically dies, then at that point, he's eternally dead. Eternally. Eternally separated from God. That's all it is. That's all it, is, all it means. And it says in, in Matthew 25, 46, it says, These then, these then who are eternally dead will go away into eternal punishment. Very clear. God makes this point very clear. Romans six twenty three. The wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ is Jesus our Lord. Again, we see that our, our our problem is sin, which results in death. It says there that the answer is a Jesus Christ, but but why Jesus Christ? What did he do? We, we've said a couple things here already, but I'm gonna, this text, we're going to see mention some more things about why Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. So we'll go to verse 24, Romans 3, 24, being justified as a gift of By his grace, through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. You just look at that. Wow, there's some important words there. First it says uh, it's by a gift, a gift by his grace, through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. So we see again that it's because of Jesus Christ that we are saved, that we are justified. Now this word justified is very interesting. You go into the Greek text. The word justified and the word righteous, and we're going to read them both here, are from the same Greek word. Just, the translations, they, just, they translated different words, but they're the same Greek word. They mean the, basically the same thing. A person who's justified, then, is one who's righteous in the sight of God. That's all we're saying. And in fact, then, has God's righteousness. A person who's justified is righteous before God and is perfectly holy like God is holy. Then we, we understand that, that, that being justified, having this righteousness is a gift from God. Again, Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. There's nothing we can do to become justified, but it's what Christ does for us. And then God sees what Christ does for us and then can declare us righteous. That's what we're saying here. Being made righteous, being justified is a legal term. We all understand courts of law. We've all probably seen things in TV. Maybe you've been a, a juror in the past. You know, you understand courts. And if the person is found not guilty, then the judge declares him as righteous, as one who is not guilty, that is innocent of all charges. And so, too, and this is what's very important, because, you know, I, I, I mean, I've i been to I've been a number of trials. It's just amazing how there's just this one, maybe one count, or one charge, or two or three charges, and there's all this time and this effort and these people here, and the judge and everybody else and the jury and the lawyers and lots of money is spent because of one little crime. Here we are talking about crimes against a living God. And if we are in Christ, if Christ paid for our sins, then God then can declare us righteous. He can declare us justified. He can he can say that that person's innocent of all charges. Some of you might have heard this little phrase, justified, justified. Just as if I had never sinned. And that's one way to look at it. Just as if I had never sinned. goes on to say that this gift is by God's grace. Grace is a big word. A big word. I mean, it's, it speaks of God's resources. All, all God's resources that are available for the believer. For example, God's power, God's love, his goodness, his mercy to us are all from god's grace are all found in his grace and it's the idea of god has these resources that he just wants to freely give us all of our salvation then is rooted in and dependent on then the grace of god all of paul's epistles i think you all know this all of this is important to understand all the epistles that paul writes how they start how they end it's all grace Paul really understood grace. That's why he say, why was Paul the man he was that God led? Because he understood the grace of God. As he said in 1 Corinthians fifteen ten, I am what I am by the grace of God. I remember Gary Galligan and Janet, too. But, boy, they, that, was, that was one of their life verses. There's no doubt because I, I heard him say it a lot of times. I am what I am by the grace of God. And that's important for us to think that way, too. It's all by the grace. If we are anything at all, if we do anything, we are God, God's grace working in and through us. That's what it is. 2 Corinthians 9 8 says, God is able to make all grace abound to you, set in all times and all things. You have an abundance for every good deed. So grace is what you need. Grace is what you need every day of the week. And What we're saying here, then, is that God's grace is essential for salvation in every single aspect of your Christian life. So you get up in the morning, thank you, Lord, for the grace you give me, and Lord, give me the grace today to live in the way that you want. You need God's grace every single day of the week. And again, it's a big word that means the resources of God that are freely available to you as you humble yourself and go to him and ask for his help. Ephesians 2.8.9, turn there. You'll see it's, it's basically said the same thing. There's so much repetition on these points here because we are talking about the gospel, and the gospel is the key message in the Bible, so it makes sense there's a lot of repetition. I'm just giving a few verses that relate to this important subject here, but verses 8 and 9, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, you know, all, you know these, I'm sure. By grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Again, the same two words, grace and gift, okay? Not as a result of works, so that no one may... So this, too, says that salvation is by God's grace and is a gift to us. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can't pay for it. You don't deserve it. That's it. You all understand gifts. All of you here, whether it's a birthday or Christmas some occasion, you've all received gifts. And when you receive that gift, you don't, okay, here's $20 for the gift. You don't do that. You just receive it. A gift is a gift, and how much more so we think about God through Christ, what they gave us, and the Spirit. It's a gift of God it's by his grace. That's what it is. How do we get God's grace? What does it say? Romans chapter 3. It says it's through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. The word redemption. Now, when you look at the Greek, there are two different words that are used commonly for redemption. and The first one is, is the one that means you to buy or to purchase, and the second one means to deliver, and they go together. The example is very simple. You go to a store. You all go to stores. You all buy things at stores, and so there's an item there, and you go to the checkout counter, you know, and you pay for it, or you do the transaction, you know, mechanically or whatever, but you pay for it, right? Credit card, cash, you pay for it. And then you deliver that item from the store because you take it with you because you paid for it. So there's two aspects. You pay for it and then it's delivered. So the idea is simple here with, with us in the Lord is that Christ's de- death was payment for our sin and enabled God then, God saw Christ, made payment for our sin when he was on the cross. That enables then God then to purchase us out of our slavery to sin, to deliver us. It enables God to purchase us out of sin. And deliver us from sin. That's what it is. And so since Christ died and paid the penalty for our sin, then God, in fact, could redeem us and did, in fact, redeem us. That's what he did. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. That's one way to look at this. Many aspects. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. These are... I love these verses. Good verses. Again, verses on the gospel. He rescued us. It's God rescued us from the domain of darkness. Greatest rescue mission ever. You've all seen movies where somebody's rescued. This is the greatest rescue. God rescued you from the clutches of the devil. From hell. God rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Two different words there. Redemption. We're redeemed because of what Christ did for us. Back to Romans chapter 3, verse 25. Romans 3, verse 25. says, Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood Through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed. And I'm not going to go through every aspect of this verse. I'm going to hit some of the main points. There's, There's a lot here. But again we see that Christ's death wasn't hidden. We all know this. Christ's death was a public death. What God did for us was out in the open, was on full display. You've all read the gospels, you've all heard teaching on this. There's no doubt that they were, because it was the Passover you know, time of the year, there's who knows, some say maybe a million people, lots of people. So you think about at least thousands and thousands, maybe tens of thousands, but thousands of people pass by there on that Golga, the Calgary, and could see Jesus Christ hanging there and dying for sins. Of course, most people don't understand that he was dying for sins. They just, and this person, this, quote, good man who was healing all these people and did all these miracles, and was a great teacher. Now he's dying. What's going on? Made out to be a criminal. That's what it was. They, they were People had to be in confused and wanted. Of course, they had heard the slander against him as well. But it, it was a public thing. This word propitiation is an important word. Very important, because it means God was satisfied. That's the way to say it. God was, there's an atonement, or a satisfaction. That's what happened here. Because of what Christ did for us. That Christ shed his blood for us. That is, Christ then died for us. We sang the song, Are You Washed in the Blood of the Lamb? I love that song. That's a, that's a good one. Are You Washed in the Blood of the Lamb? And, and there's some people out there, some preachers, they all this sort of a mystical aspect to this blood. All it means when you say, in the blood, is are you washing the blood? Do you understand that Jesus Christ died to pay for your sins? That's all. You equate the blood with Christ shedding his blood, Christ dying. That's the idea. So when you see the blood, that's what it means. So that's that's the whole point here is that Christ then died for us. He paid for his sins. He shed his blood. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own Righteousness toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so Christ de- Christ's death, for us then, is a, is a demonstration of his righteousness and also a demonstration of his love. And that God is righteous means He has to punish our sins. And it's important to think about this, because a lot of people, well, God's God, He can just let our sin go. You know, that person, God, God's a good God. He'll just let it go. God can't let sin go. He can't excuse it. He can't ignore it. He can't forget about it. He can't do it. He can't. For every single person in this world, he can't let it go. Either person pays for their own sin or somebody else does, and that's Christ. That's it. Only one of two options. That's, and God's plan was, was brilliant, you think about it, but costly. He had his own son, Jesus Christ, who was perfect, was both man and God, because he was man and God, then he could die. He had to become a man. That was part of his plan and that's what he did. He came down as, became a man, and then died to pay for our sins. And because of that, because of Christ's death for us, then God could redeem us. He could declare us righteous. And this is such a critical truth, that God out of his own love for us, punished his son because he had to be righteous. He had to be righteous. And then was satisfied by what Christ did. What Christ did for all those people then that he chose, all those people then who repent of their sins and place their faith in Jesus Christ. We continue, Romans 3, 26. For the demonstration I say of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who Who has faith in Jesus? Again, we read about the demonstration of of God's righteousness. God is righteous, He's holy. He wanted His righteousness to be visible. And as I just said, it was visible. There was Jesus Christ. This is historical evidence. If you talk about historical evidence, there's more evidence about Christ and what He did back at that time than anything else that happened in the world. There's so much evidence from people's testimony, people's words, to the word of God itself. There's so much evidence that this happened. And so it was clearly seen. And that Christ was raised from the dead is also obvious, right? You go to the grave, where's his body? Has anybody ever found the body of Christ in the grave? No. And all kinds of people were looking back then. I mean, I can't imagine how many people went to that grave and said, well, there's no body here. He is gone. But it wasn't just that he was gone, but also then that he revealed himself. Not to everybody. It says in Acts that he revealed himself to only certain people. But he revealed himself to a lot of people. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, it says at one time, he revealed himself to 500 people. And he saw his disciples, his key disciples, over time and many times. So he revealed himself. So he not only was raised from the dead, he's gone from the tomb, but he revealed himself as alive. And then he, of course, showed his Here's to Thomas, he showed his hands and his feet and his side, you know, says, well, yeah, this is the one. He, he died, but, but he's, he's now alive. So that's, that's what happened. It's so encouraging. And what Christ did then affects every single person in the world, both believers and unbelievers. If a person believes in Christ, they're righteous. If a person doesn't believe in Christ, they're not righteous and they remain unrighteous unless they do believe him. That's just it's so basic. It's so clear what God did for us. So, either a person that believes in Christ and is declared righteous, becomes a child of God, is declared righteous by God, and then will go to heaven when he dies. Or a person doesn't believe in Christ and remains unrighteous and guilty before God, as it says in John. That you, this is, you think this does? You sure it's true? Yes, yeah, First John a person that remains a child of the devil. People are either children of God at this present time on this earth or are children of the devil. There is no other way to look at it. That is the truth. That is it. Or you can look at John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Two choices. You believe you have eternal life. You don't believe you perish. That's it. It is so, so clear. Turn to 1 John. The clarity of this. I mean, some people think it's confusing and what happened and there's, this, there's no debate for the person that looks at the word honestly. But really, it's the grace of God. God's got to reveal this truth to a person. But First John chapter 5, verses 11 to 13, these are some of the most black and white verses that clarify this truth for us, that communicate this truth. Verse 11, 1 John 5, the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has a Son has a life. He does not have the Son, does not have the life. Verse 13, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. That is the primary purpose of this epistle of 1 John is that people can have certainty about their salvation. And it, again, is so black and white. You cannot, cannot miss what God is telling us there. And so God is just then. He's perfectly righteous. And only he, only God, nobody else, no person, only God can justify a person and make him righteous. That is it. And all those then who repent of their sins and turn to Christ are made righteous. that's, that's the answer. First Peter 3:18, which I stated before, but I, I just love this. Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust so that he might bring us to God. That's it. That's, that's another way to sum up the gospel. the just, the unrighteous, just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God to have this relationship with him. Second Corinthians 5.21, God made him, that is Christ, who knew no sin to be sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Again, you see that righteousness is, such, is such, so clearly stated. Turn to Romans chapter 4. Romans 3 and 4 and 5 too. talk a lot about this. I mean, there's a lot of thoughts, and I'm just covering a few this morning, but I just want to read these verses it goes along with what we've been saying here in, in Romans 3 Romans chapter 4 verse 1 what then shall we say that abraham our forefather according to the flesh has according to the flesh has found for if abraham was justified by works he has nothing something to boast about but not before god but what does the scripture say abraham believed god and it was credited to him as righteousness Not that to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and those whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Again, the righteousness of God because of Christ, what he did for us, is given to us. Amazing. We'll go back to Romans chapter 3, 27 and 28. Where then is boasting? Excluded. What kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of law. That God saves us from our sin should humble us, should humble us. For we did nothing to gain salvation. We did nothing to make ourselves righteous. If we really understand the salvation of God, we should be ones then that boast in the Lord, that give glory to the Lord because of what he did for us, because it was his work that he did for us, an amazing, amazing work of salvation. More could be said, and this is just really a summary, but it's important, this truth about the gospel. And it's what every person needs to hear every unbeliever, and what every Christian needs to understand clearly. So they can have confidence. There's, again, a lot of Christians out there who are saved, but they don't have confidence. And God wants to have that confidence. I want to talk briefly about this last point about a person, whether he can lose his salvation or not, and I'm going to talk about it next week because it's so important. So the question is, can a person go from being saved to unsaved? Okay, that he's, he's saved. Now he's unsaved. Can that happen? I mean, the truth is, there's many churches. In fact, I was talking to a person for a church, and he grew, he went to a church years ago that taught that. There's many churches that teach that, and and they they sort of teach the gospel, but then they say you can lose your salvation. Other churches don't teach the gospel and sort of somehow say you can lose it. Just, it just there's a lot of mess out there. Okay, all I'm saying is, if a person is truly saved, then he is truly saved, and a person can't lose his salvation. Let's say, let's say a Christian commits a grievous sin, and I'll talk about this briefly next week, but you have certain religions talking about mortal sins, sin leading to death, and venial, which is the small sins. So they would say, what if a person commits some mortal sin, this, this, this sin leading to death? Well, he can lose his salvation, right? But if Christ died for our sins and for all our sins, then that person, at the point he was saved, when he was born again, he was then forgiven of all his sins, whether you want to call them venial or mortal, whatever you want to say, it makes no difference. That's what happens. I mean, to say that we can lose our salvation is saying that Christ's work on the cross was not sufficient. That's what we're saying. It wasn't sufficient to pay the penalty for all our sins, but it was. That's That's the point here. Jesus Christ, when he is on the cross, he died, he paid the penalty for all our sins. You probably... Remember this phrase. This is John chapter 19, verse 30. And Jesus, right before he died, physically died, he said, it's finished. What was he saying there? It's very simple. He's not one saying, oh, I'm dying now, physically. No, it's finished. The work to pay for the sins of people is done. It's completed. And there's nothing more that needs to take place to secure the salvation of anybody. It's all done. It's finished. I, I love that phrase. Love it. John nineteen thirty. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. We say that Jesus Christ died to pay for our sins so we could be forgiven. And it says says sins in that plural, meaning all your sins. But but I like what Colossians says here, chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. It says, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. There it says it, all, all. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us which was hostile to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So for the first point or evident proof of, hey, you can't lose salvation, is is that Christ paid for all your sins. Next one, let's go back to Ephesians. Jeff read this, but I just want to look at a couple of verses here. Ephesians 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses, forgiveness according to the riches of His grace. So, so God chose us, God predestined us for salvation, and there's nothing in these verses here that even hints that you could lose your salvation. It says we have, we have present we have redemption, this forgiveness, this this being set from our sin, free from sins, this being declared righteous. And God then you see is very simple. God decided in the eternity past to save certain people. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't go back in his word. He doesn't reverse his decision. That's the point. God doesn't do that. He doesn't. This, this is so clear. It says we become children of God. Losing our salvation means we become a child of God one day, and then the next day we commit some sin, and therefore we lose. We're not children anymore of God. You can become a child of God one day, and then not the child of God the next day, and I assume if you have to take this out to the logical way these people think, well, you can become a child again the next day, then lose it the next day, and how many times can you go back and forth, and it doesn't make sense. It's illogical. Totally illogical. I mean, e- even the, the, the human example. All of you here have parents, right? Maybe some of you here, your parents have passed away. But you all have parents. And whether they are alive or not alive, you have parents, Right? <laughs> You know their names. You have a mother and a father. A mother and a father. Always. You're always once a child. You're always a child. Physically speaking, that's the way it is. You go to the genealogy. My mom did genealogies. It's all there. All these children, all their parents, it's all there for a couple hundred years. Once God's child, always his child. Let me just say something briefly, and I might talk about this more next week. First John 2 talks about those. says those who left us were not really of us in the first place. So a person... They say he lost his salvation. Well, he never was saved in the first place. That, that's the point. He wasn't saved in the first place. He might have come to church and act like a per, good person and been to ministries and even did evangelism and did all these things. And I've heard all these stories. People, quote, look like they're saved for many years and then they walk away. I just heard that this morning from my son. He gave me a story. But guy wasn't probably saved. That's, that's what we have to conclude. It says we're redeemed. And once we're redeemed... We're delivered from our sins. We can't be unredeemed. We can't be redeemed one day, then unredeemed the next day. This, again, is, is totally, totally illogical to think about this whole white people think about losing salvation. It says we're forgiven of our sins. And once we're forgiven of our sins, we're forgiven of our sins. And we're always forgiven of all our sins. That's it. That's it. Ephesians 1.14 says we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And the idea of a sealing is it's a permanent thing. We're sealed. We're marked with the Holy Spirit. In fact, John 14, 16 says this. It says, the Father will give you another helper, and he'll be with you forever. Does it say until you commit some bad sin? Does it say until you reject Christ? No. No. The true Christian, God gives the Spirit, and the Spirit is with him forever. It is so obvious. He doesn't give us the Spirit one day, then take him away the next day. Once you have the Spirit, you always have the Spirit. That's it. Once saved, always saved. Once truly saved, always truly saved, to put the emphasis that way. And so the Holy Spirit is given as a pledge, a promise from God that he's going to keep us going, that he'll keep us saved and then they'll take us to heaven. That's what's going to happen. And then forever. Because in that verse, in Spirit forever, that means you don't lose the Spirit once you get to heaven. You can have the Spirit forever. That's the truth. A couple other verses. I mentioned this last week. 1 Corinthians 1 He'll keep you strong to the end so that you'll be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. All of us, and some people differently, some personalities just different. Some people have a hard time with this. Okay? And they're legitimate Christians. Some people struggle more, and, and promises like these are helpful. He'll keep you strong to the end. This is kind of verse you need on your wall or need on your desk someplace. He'll keep you strong. He can do it. It's not up to you, it's up to God to do it. First second four: eight says, The Lord you will rescue us from every evil deed. Will safely bring us to his heavenly kingdom. Isn't that wonderful? Every nobody can stop what God is doing. And finally, we'll turn to John 10. It's one of my wife's favorites on this. Maybe yours too. John ten, verse 27 and 29. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Isn't that wonderful truth? God's hanging on to us, and he's not going to let us go. He's got us. So once we're truly his, we're always his. This is such an important truth, understanding this assurance of salvation. It gives us security reminds us of the great love of god and the great power of god as well let's pray father thank you so much for this time we just looked over the gospel but this is so important that we understand this is the basics for all of us and and it doesn't make any difference how long we've been saved just to remember this truth of the gospel and it's what you did for us god through jesus christ it was a gift. It was by your grace. It was not by our works. That's how I thought way, way long time ago, and you got me straightened out by your spirit, by your grace. Thank you for that. Thank you for everyone here that knows you. Lord, if there's ones here that aren't sure of their salvation or people listening in, God, help them. Help them to, to, to have conviction about being fully saved and then knowing, having that conviction, that nothing can separate them separate them from you, from your great love that you have for us. But thank you again now for this time, for this church here. Thank you for Steve for being with us up from or down from Chicago area to bless his life and keep working and helping him, Lord, to continue on for you and to serve you. We pray for those who couldn't make it. I know there's people, I know, I talked to some, talked to two people this morning that wanted to be here, but they couldn't because they weren't feeling the different ailments. And so I understand that. And I pray for Cynthia. I talked to Bobby the other day, Lord, and, and she's struggling physically, but She would love to be here. She might even stop by sometime, but we pray for her. So all those, Lord, who are hurting in different ways, and even those who are then struggling spiritually, we need to pray for that. All of us. We we need to be once who are strong in the Lord, as it says in Ephesians. Be strong in the Lord, the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God. This is what we need, each of us here. So help us, Father. Help each one of us. We need you, God. We need each other. And thanks so much for this time of fellowship, this time of being together. It's it's a wonderful thing that we in this country had this freedom to be together, to, 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 to love you and to love each other, to learn from you, God, to have this fellowship, to be able to worship you. Thank you again now for this time. We pray all this in Jesus' name.
0: Amen.